Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on today's episode, we do what we've been doing previously in previewing the Women's World Cup, which starts in the very near future. We are on to Group F, I believe, if my math uh, checks out, which would be Jamaica, Panama, France, and Brazil. We can all just call it the Group of Bunny Shaw, as we should. Um, We're going to be running through all the different categories we have been utilizing, but I'm going to start off by introducing my co-hosts and asking them for their national team's nickname. Let's go to Jamaica and Joe Lowry. Yes, I'm so stoked, so stoked. Good start Mm -hmm. for me. Really excited to do this episode. I'm stoked about Jamaica and the fact that you already mentioned Bunny Shaw in the intro, which is as it should be, frankly. Their nickname is the Reggae Girls, which is a sick nickname, let's be honest. Like, that's that's a a good nickname. The Reggae Boys for the men's team is a good nickname as well, based on reggae music, which is from Jamaica. I don't think there's a lot of other explaining I need to do on that front. No, Joe, if you could go into the history of reggae, I'd really appreciate it. Ooh, I just remembered yeah, I have this other recording for Group F for the Women's World Cup that I have to do. All right, fine. They specifically we don't said I wouldn't have to talk about reggae, and so that's, that's the one I'm going to go with. All right, I'll give you some time to prepare your reggae notes. I know you need to condense them down. Yeah, uh, you had that hour-long presentation. Uh, previewing another team in this group, I'm just going to leave it vague, is not Ryan Bailey, who remains shipwrecked uh, somewhere on the (laughs) Isle of Scilly. Instead, we have uh, joining us Mr. David Goss. David, who are you going to be talking about today? Well, I am going to be talking about Panama. And if Ryan Bailey was taking a boat through the Panama Canal, Mm -hmm. he would not be shipwrecked. Their nickname is Los Canaleros, the inverse and feminine version of Los Canaleros which is the men's name, which is the canals, because that's all Panama has to talk about. And if you ever go to Panama, (laughs) they are super proud of the canal, and they are really proud that they're in charge of it. And do not laugh during the presentation video at the canal, because people will be really upset with you. I can tell you from personal experience. Their other nickname is La Marea Rosa, the Red Tide. The video starts with, we are Panama, an independent nation in control of our own canal. Welcome to the Panama Canal. <laughs> and I just straight up laughed because my friend had sort of all week been like, yeah, Panama's got like a real issue with Americans and like sort of a like Napoleon syndrome type thing. Mm. And so then that they just came out the video with that. And I laughed out loud. But yeah, the Red Tide is their other nickname. Red is the color that they wear on their jersey and, you know, tied for water and stuff. The U.S. did used to control the canal, didn't it? Up until, like, 1998. There it is. I forgot about that, because I remember it being the United States wanting a canal, Colombia saying no, and the United States saying, okay, fine, well, that tiny landmass is no longer yours. Congratulations, Panama, you have a canal now. And a country. Yes, also that. They created (laughs) Panama as a country so that they could negotiate a canal with them. 
Which then for a moment, I was like, why do they not like the United States besides, you know, Central America and the CIA and everything? Yeah. Uh, but then, yes, of course, controlling the, the, the canal for a good hundred John years. John McCain was part born of that in the well. Panama Canal Zone. In the was, Panama Canal? In, which was in the water of the, the Panama Canal. <laughs> so it was like for it was like a quarter of a mile on either side was all America from east to west across the canal. That's a water bursts were really animal. back then. Water <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Uh, I will be previewing the French women's national team, Le Bleu, the Blues. Uh, they are not at all controversial, and have had no problems. And everything is smooth sailing. Don't ask any more questions, Graham Ruffin. Who are you going to be talking about? So I'm going to be previewing Brazil. There is a lot more going on in Brazil than uh, than just a canal. Unfortunately, not a great deal going on. Just a canal. With Disrespect their, uh... to Panama all, automatically. <laughs> Graham hasn't yeah, even seen the video, probably. Yeah, I'm showing. laughing all the way through that video. Yeah. Uh, Brazil's <laughs> nickname is the Seleção, which is obviously uh, used across the men's and the women's teams. Also, a nickname that is used for Portugal, share language with Portugal, of course, one of the most commonly used nicknames in international football. They can also be called the Female Canaries, which I prefer that nickname, uh, green and yellow, obviously, being the link there. But more on Brazil later on. Just so you know, got- in the movie, there's a canal that has feet and hands that talks. Stop. So, it's like Stop. a pretty good movie. Well, is this well, like the, I've seen this Pixar movie before. So. Yeah. Like the, DN, the, the walking, Mr. talking DNA, DNA in say. Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Dino DNA. Like, I, think they name, I think they name it. Like it has like a name, the character. Does it look like a canal? Like how do you... Like, uh, I think it just looked like Panama. I can't remember that part now. Maybe I'll look it up. Let's see if I can find it. Just don't laugh when you do. Uh, well, while you look that up, we're going to come back around to Joe Lowry to tell us uh, his nickname for Jamaica as well as their story so far. Guys, this might be the best episode we've ever done. I'm, re- I'm really enjoying this so far. Uh, okay, the nickname for Jamaica is The Foundation. Which sounds a bit like a cult. Um, I recognize That's a show and apologize on Apple TV, for that. I'm sure. it, might, it also might be an Apple TV show. I, I think it works in two ways. So first is the on-field way. Everybody is the foundation for Bunny Shaw to thrive. Uh, and I know there is a, a natural tendency for folks previewing World Cups where I, I'll admit, like I, I hadn't spent a lot of time watching Jamaica play before this tournament. There's a tendency to just focus on the one name that people know. And, and a lot of listeners, I, I bet, will know Bunny Shaw, and we all know Bunny Shaw. Uh, but I want to be clear, this isn't just lazy analysis. This is actual analysis. You watch Jamaica, and Bunny Shaw is so important to how they play. I'll talk more about that later. She is this team's one truly elite player. And Jamaica do everything they do. They try to do what they can to set her up to succeed, right? Which involves a lot of defending, and trying to be compact with mixed success to then win the ball and allow Bunny Shot to, to thrive in transition or to be a hold-up player for others to run off of her. So the, the other nine outfield players are the foundation for Bunny Shaw. And then off the field, this team is trying to lay the foundation for the next generation in the midst of some really trying circumstances. So you know, they got here, this Jamaica team, by finishing second in Group A at the CONCACAF W Championship last summer. They lost 5-0 to the U.S. at that tournament and beat Haiti 4-0. I uh, beat Mexico 1-0 to finish in the, in the second spot in Group A and get to the World Cup. Those results kind of give you an idea of Jamaica's level. It kind of trounced by the U.S. And, and maybe able to beat up on some other teams that are going to be at this World Cup. This is their second ever World Cup. They made it for the first time back in 2019, becoming the first Caribbean nation to qualify. They were eliminated in the group stage last time around. 
like too many other teams, and this gets to the second part of the foundation for the next generation, like too many other teams of this World Cup, a big part of the story for Jamaica coming in takes place off the field. There are currently multiple crowdfunding campaigns set up to help Jamaica offset World Cup expenses, crowdfunding, to be clear, that, that is what I said, to be able to actually focus on the World Cup rather than you know how they're going to afford to get there. So from The Athletic, this is an excerpt, a reggae girls rise up fundraising page launched by mother of Houston Dash and Jamaica midfielder Havana Solan has set a target of $100,000. And another page set up by the Reggae Girls Foundation is trying to raise $75,000 for the send-off camp. Like, they've, they've raised a decent bit of money, but there are real concerns still about how Jamaica has been able to prep for this tournament and how the women's team is treated in general. So back in June, the Jamaica women's national team put out a statement expressing their concerns over facilities in preparation for the World Cup. We have heard this story for other countries already. But I'm still going to dive into it with Jamaica. So the statement cited issues around accommodation, training conditions, and nutrition. It also claimed that Jamaica has missed several official friendly matches leading up to the World Cup. They're missing opportunities to train and to get to play. The opening line of that statement put out, again, by the players of the team, I think sums up things as well as you can. So it reads like this. One of the greatest honors for a footballer is to represent your national team. Qualifying for a second World Cup is something most never imagined or thought possible for the reggae girls at a time where we should be focused solely on preparing to compete on the world's largest stage. We are unfortunately compelled to express our utmost disappointment with the Jamaica Football Federation. Then it goes on to talk about how basically they sat down with the Federation to express these issues about poor planning and communication and training, nutrition, all this kind of stuff. But players are still kind of wondering, like, if camps are going to happen or two or three days ahead, if they're going to happen at all. Players saying they haven't been paid on time, which was a problem four years ago after the 2019 World Cup. A lot of these expenses in the past have been offset by Bob Marley's daughter, Sadella, who uh, paid for a training camp in England just a few months ago. I believe that was in April. And Sadella has, has been helping to foot the bill ahead of the World Cup as well. And has been helping out for nearly a decade now, I believe. And as cool as that is, and like a, a fun tie to Jamaica and, and you know, a lot of those kinds of things, mm-hmm. it's not a sustainable solution, obviously. Like, it, it, this is another situation that's incredibly frustrating to, to sort of understand and read about what these players are going through. They want it. The, the, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I kind of got lost yeah. in the sauce a little bit here. But the last thing I'll say, because I know I've been talking for a long time, is the end of that statement that was put out by the players. I think really hits home. Um, It reads like this. There is unwavering commitment from every player, coach, and staff member of the reggae girls. We desire to perform our best to make Jamaica proud and and to ensure a strong future for so many aspiring young reggae girls. We are constantly serving in multiple capacities, trying to overcome inadequate and often unacceptable circumstances while doing our best to meet the physical and mental demands of the sport we love so much. And that is the reality for Jamaica right now. And for far too many women soccer players around the world, they're wearing a ton of hats, they're often treated unfairly, and like we talked about with Canada way back in – shoot, that feels like an eternity ago, but it wasn't maybe a week ago. Like they're forced to compartmentalize. That is the big story ultimately for Jamaica. They're in a really tough group with Brazil and France as the obvious favorites to get out. Maybe – I don't know. Maybe, just maybe, they can pull off some sort of a shock to shock the world and, and to shock their own federation too. Joe, that was an incredible summary of the situation, and I, I very much appreciate it. It did also make me – uh, slightly more bummed out than I was before you started talking. So to turn it around, Goss, uh, where are we on the Panama Canal cartoon? <laughs> Cannot find it. Found a lot of videos about construction. 
That's all. Did, did you also find the Animaniacs cartoon about Oof. going through the Panama Canal? Because no, I, I kind of hoped that that was what they had gone for. <laughs> uh, I do want to hear more about Panama. Joe, really, though, thank you for that uh, yeah. summary of things uh, as they stand for the Jamaican team. And you're totally right. Like, it's great that Bob Marley's daughter is willing to do that. That is not a very sustainable model. And it does probably also then lead to the Jamaican FA thinking, well, I mean, we could just do that. What's the problem? And it's yep. the same one. I talk about this a lot where people can go find uh, Damien Lowe, like engaging in no- negotiations with the yep. FA where it's just straight up them more or less saying like, yeah, but we kind of want to keep that money. You w- you want to get paid for playing? I don't know about that. It's it's not great. So uh, thank you for spotlighting that one. Uh, Goss, tell us about the Panama uh, nickname and their story so far. So I think their nickname is going to be the CONCACAFs or Las CONCACAFs. Um, this team is going to, I think when you come into uh, for a lot of people, obviously, the Women's World Cup started in 1991, so not as long as the men's side. And I think a lot of people on the women's side, the U.S. and Canada are outliers compared to on the men's side, where what you're used to seeing from a CONCACAF mm-hmm. nation. This Panama team, they're going to feel like the Costa Ricas we've seen the last few years, Trinidad and Tobago, before that, Panama, unfortunately, somewhat, uh, at the most recent World Cup, Honduras as well. Of You know, they're going to battle. They're going to be behind the ball. I think they're going to be a team that that people really enjoy watching and root for, but probably don't have that success. And there is that little bit of CONCACAF in their game as well. Um, getting here, they pretty much didn't play as a team from 2011 through to the 2018 W Championship. They came back into a little bit of Central American competition, which qualified them for the W back in 2018. They ended up getting to the World Cup qualifying playoff, which was a bit of a surprise, and they lost to Argentina in that one, they lost to Jamaica as well in the third place match in that W to then go to an intercontinental playoff against Argentina for this version of things. They were in the same group as Costa Rica and Canada, who they both lost to, but they beat Trinidad and Tobago 1-0 pretty much against the ball and against the game. They beat Trinidad and Tobago 1-0. That took them into the intercontinental playoff. To give you a little bit of a hopeful positive comparison, they lost to Canada in 2018 W in 7-0, and they lost 1-0 this time. So there have been improvements as things have gone along, and a lot actually in the last seven months as well. They beat Papua New Guinea 2-0 to start out the Intercontinental Playoff um, qualifying, and then they beat Paraguay 1-0 to clinch the final spot. So they were the last team technically into the World Cup. Since then, they've split results with Colombia this year. They crushed Gibraltar 7-0, so watch out, Gibraltar. Don't even try and be like, oh, we're kind of a canal, too. Um, And then in that same trip, they got (laughs) smoked by Spain 7-0 on June 29th, which is their last game. Um, Coming into this recording, they do play Japan in two days in a friendly in Japan that Japan is hosting. And then they're going to travel to New Zealand and Australia. I don't remember which group where this group is. There we go. Uh, nor did I, which is why I had to read the Australia. introduction. I'm pretty sure it's Australia. <laughs> okay. Uh, that is an amazing uh, geographical reference there, Goss. Even if, I, if I've never heard Gibraltar with the, I'm going to assume Long Island accent that was, Gibraltar. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's Boston. I don't know what that was, but I enjoyed it yeah. immensely. Uh, I enjoyed researching France immensely because... It's been a wild time. It's been a wild time for France, who I am now nicknaming the eight, the eight hour sleeps or eight hours of sleep, whichever you prefer. Uh, I saw 
a line recently, if everyone is annoying you, eat something. If you think you're annoying everyone, get some sleep. Uh, and that's basically what France have done. They needed a reset. Uh, things fully souring under former coach uh, Karine Diacre. Now they have a new manager. Key players are back in the fold. Everyone seems revitalized and ready to go. They got their sleep. So they are the eight-hour sleeps. Um, to go a little bit deeper into the situation with Diacre, we talked about this on the show a couple different times. Uh, but... She was sacked in March, uh, basically because the divide between the players and uh, the ma- the management and staff just became too great. They had started having players retire, quote unquote, or not get called up uh, for a good long while. Amandine Henri and Eugenie Lesamer being chief among them, uh, but goalkeeper Sarah Buhati announces her retirement after the twenty uh, tw- in twenty twenty after the twenty nineteen World Cup, citing problems with the team's management, and it just kind of kept spiraling from there uh, to the point where uh, Wendy Renard, the captain of the national team, later joined by uh, Kadi Diatu Diani and Marie Antoinette Cototo, all saying that they are not going to play for France anymore. They will publicly retire until things are different. They cited the strain on their mental health. Um, As I recall from our conversations on the show, uh, Diacre, I think, used the sort of same training methods over and over again, but was also not a very good communicator. So didn't ever explain to players why they weren't being called up. It was called the Dragon. That was exactly. Yep. (laughs) Uh, For being pretty ruthless in the way she operated uh, and then for not brooking any sort of dissent, not wanting any conversation about tactics or style or approach. And I think there was a consistent feeling with the French team that there just wasn't enough diversity to the way they wanted to play. There wasn't enough sort of uh, embracing of new ideas or new methods of attacking or defending. And so it just felt like things had gotten really, really stale. Players got really dissatisfied. Eventually, the FA has to take action. And I do say eventually because for a good long while, they backed Diacre. Her contract was extended uh, after uh, they made the last four of the European Championship in 2022. So it wasn't like they were really leaning towards getting rid of her or waiting for the contract to expire. It was basically that Wendy Renard announcing she's retiring. She is enough of a profile, even after Amandine Henri, even after Eugenie Lissamer. Wendy Renard seems to be the one that was the final tipping point. Uh, so in comes Hervé Renard. We'll talk about him in a little bit, but he is... Uh, an exciting coach for them uh, because I think he is going to inspire them to even greater feats. Um, and they were already pretty solid under Diakra. They won 10 of 10 in World Cup qualifying, a plus 50 goal difference. Uh, but she was usually playing with a back three and usually not really uh, getting the best out of her teams and losing a lot of people along the way. So now a revitalized France, I think, have a point to prove. And I think they will be able to do just that. More on them soon. But let's uh, finish it out with Brazil, Mr. Ruffin. So if I'd known we were doing nicknames on waterways, <laughs> I would have done something for Brazil on the Amazon. Ever heard of it? But uh, for my prepared TSS nickname, I've gone for the Generation Bridges. I don't know why that was so aggressive. Like, are, are, do we have an Amazon denier in here? I, I don't quite know what just happened there. Well, now I think this is a game of straws based on who has the most impressive and biggest waterway. And ah. so, like, I've got Brazil at the table here. You know, that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying here. So, yeah, I don't have anything based on the Amazon. Maybe I would have prepared something on that uh, if I'd known that was the direction we were going down. My prepared nickname is, as I say, the the Generation Bridgers. So that's different to Phoebe Bridgers. Uh, They have experience. They have stars who have been here before. They've got the t-shirt at World Cups, although not won one. But nonetheless, they're experienced at this level. But the challenge for Brazil has been to move into a new generation. They weren't able to do that in 2019. 
but it sort of feels like they're doing a better job of that now. So Brazil, as I say, they're a team with strong pedigree at the Women's World Cup. They've qualified for every Women's World Cup to date. They made the final in 2007 when they lost to Germany. They finished third in 1999. But they haven't made it past the round of 16 in the last two tournaments. And we all know how important the national team is in Brazil and in Brazilian football. So they don't view a round of 16 exit as good enough. And so they want an improvement on that. And the last four years have been building towards that, this tournament because they don't view that as good enough. Brazil are the dominant force in South uh, American international football and they qualified for this World Cup by winning the Copa America last year, which was their eighth Copa America title. There's only been nine Copa Americas on the women's side, so that is a, a rather impressive record. Even more impressive, Brazil won all seven games in that tournament last year. They scored 20 goals and didn't concede a single one. So that's complete dominance from them. Great. They were Do you also- know who, who won the only other one? Um, so I believe that was uh, it was Argentina that won okay. it like three or four times ago, I believe. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's pretty much complete domination at this point from Brazil. They were also very impressive in the finalissima against England, uh, which we mentioned yesterday when they were able to stop England from doing much damage for 120 minutes. That match was also at Wembley on home soil. They only lost that match in a penalty shootout. And the defensive setup they had was interesting because that was slightly, that was something new for Brazil. We hadn't really seen that from them against a high-caliber opponent. There was a lot of discussion around that in the Brazilian media. I'll come on to this and when, when we talk about the tactics. But that little toggle that they have now could make them difficult to beat in a tourna- tournament format. So that is something to keep an eye on. Um, nonetheless, this is a team that is blessed with world-class attacking talent. And one Brazilian player has made, obviously, a greater impact at the Women's World Cup than any other. We know where we're going here, and that's uh, that's Marta. This is, I would say, almost certainly the last dance for her. She's now 37. It's not even guaranteed that she will be a starting figure for Brazil at this World Cup, but a big storyline story li- story around um, this tournament for Brazil is about how she will get a big send-off on, on the biggest stage as the all-time tournament top goalscorer, as the greatest Brazilian player of all time. Uh, after the last World Cup, Marta made a, a plea for other talents to step up and essentially help her out. She felt that it was all heaped on her shoulders to, to do it all for this Brazilian team. Um, and I would say, for the most part, while some legends have either retired or been phased out, I'll come on to those names later on, it does feel like the next generation is starting to rise. So there is a lot of encouragement on the Brazilian side of things. I don't know if I would place them as a tier one contender to win the whole thing, but I I kind of expect them to be a little bit stronger than a lot of people are giving them credit for right now. All right. I look forward to hearing more about the uh, the up-and-coming players and the manager for Brazil in just a second. First, we're going to take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Welcome back. We continue our preview of Group F. Joe Lowry, if you would, please tell me about Jamaica's manager and tactics. Jamaica are coached by Lorne Donaldson, 66-year-old Jamaican coach. He has a, a background as a player. He burst onto the scene as a 17-year-old for Jamaica on the men's side as a player. Has been a pretty low-level coach, all things considered, in the past. Coached some in college. Spent a lot of time in Colorado. Coached in the American Professional Soccer League with the Colorado Foxes, which is a fantastic name for a soccer team. Uh, Goss might remember this. I, I didn't know this. Or maybe Taylor or Graham, you guys knew this. He was an assistant coach with the Colorado Rapids for two years in Major League Soccer. Along the way... Donaldson helped start and grow Real Colorado, which is a youth academy that has helped develop both Mallory Swanson and Sophia Smith. I did not know that when researching this preview, Mm. but he has a a real background in youth development, became Jamaica's women's U20 coach, uh, recently has been around the program for a long time. He's also been critical of the Jamaican Football Federation for a while, even as a youth coach, talking about a a lack of real investment and infrastructure. Now he's leading the senior team, was hired to coach the women in June of 2022, just a month before the CONCACAF W Championship, which was their World Cup qualifying. So that was kind of a a tense situation, a difficult one, but he got the job done and now has a much more challenging task ahead, at least if you frame it as Jamaica trying to, to make a run and get out of this group tactically. Jamaica have used both a 4-2-3-1 and a 4-3-3. Defensively, we're likely to see them either in a a 4-4-2 block or a 4-5-1 block against, you know, especially the big guns in this group. They won't extend too far forward. They very much prefer to constrict space deeper downfield, which I think is a smart move given their talent deficit compared to some of the other teams at this tournament. We'll see them defend a lot. We saw that in recent games against Spain, Czechia, Australia, like... This Austria, excuse me, like they've averaged 33% possession across you know, those three recent games. They don't come off, I'll be honest, as defensive as they are. They don't come off as super organized, which leaves big gaps between players and a lot of scrambling. They don't always close down the ball in important areas. I think those things could be problematic. And I'll say maybe Donaldson's not a very good coach. Maybe the player quality comes into play here. I just think having more time in camp and playing more games would probably help Jamaica figure out their defensive shape a little bit more. So there's, a, I guess, a little bit of a callback to earlier, and I, I talked about the story of this team. Defensively, I have some concerns. In the attack, there's a lot of freedom in how they play. Just in general, it's a lot of kind of flexible stuff that looks like the players are kind of calling a lot of the shots on the field. I don't think their tactics are a real strength. Usually the fullbacks stay a little bit deeper, giving wingers more freedom higher up the field to find space. They want to play quickly and find direct passes upfield to Shaw or to one of the wingers running into space in behind. Um, Drew Spence, more on her in just a minute, can help conduct play a little bit from midfield. So there are some some real positive aspects to how Jamaica play, and, and they have a general idea of what they want to do. I am not fully convinced that they'll be stout enough defensively or sharp enough in the attack outside of Shaw to cause a, a lot of problems in this tournament, but I desperately hope I'm wrong. All right, Joe, thank you for that. Uh, let's go to David Goss to tell us about uh, Panama. Joe, or excuse me, David, but first, do you want to respond to 
Graham Ruthven's hurtful comments about the Amazon River being more important than the fight, Panama Canal. Fight, They're fight, pretty fight. much the same length as I understand it. One is about 3,000 plus miles long. One is about 50 miles long. But we're pretty gonna, much the same other yeah. than that. I'm we're not sure real if that Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg standoff right now, aren't we? <laughs> this Asian Coliseum. Fight each other. Yep. That's the <laughs> only way this can resolve. I do not know who I would back in that one. Uh, uh, can I throw in, yes. and I may have missed this, Joe, when Joe mentioned Real Colorado, Janine Becky also from there. Yeah, there's a lot more. Like, I, I left yeah. players off that list. Um, it is. Yeah, a lot it's of names. Ethan Horvath's from that academy as well, but I think it's cool that there's Canadian internationals and um, along with Sophia Smith and, and Mel Swanson. Yeah. Um, so, Panama, their head coach is Nacho Quintana, Ignacio Quintana. He is Mexican originally. Um, a very young coach came through coaching academy with some of the smaller sides in Mexico City. Moved on to work for the Federation, or not, sorry, not the Federation, the region for CONCACAF as a coaching license instructor. And then through that, got connected to the Nicaraguan women's program where he was an assistant coach and has now taken over as the head coach um, for Panama. He seems to be very motivational. Like when you watch the games, he also was the one who led the push for the women's program to get equal pay and equal resources to the men's program. It seems like he was the face of it, even ahead of the players, so he seems to be pretty well-connected to this group. For the most part, in the World Cup, they'll play at a 5 out of a 5-4-1. They will play other formations, but those are against teams that are not of the caliber of the World Cup. Um, so it'll be a low block. They'll try and crowd the middle and push the ball out wide, which is a unique or interesting idea because they struggle 1v1 defensively at the fullbacks' positions. And obviously it's safer than letting the ball down the middle. They won't press that much. Maybe they will against Jamaica. I'd even be surprised. So it's for the most part, the ideas are have the center forward shadow cover the defensive midfielder. And then if it does get in the middle, the front line will drop back and back press onto um, the middle players trying to win the ball there. And they don't really counter press that hard as well. So they are kind of going to sit in their shape. They're really good in offensive transitions, though, and they play through. We'll get into their star players, but that's where they create their chances, and that's where they're most dangerous. They're not going to be in possession a ton in the attacking half of the field. Like I said, in the group stage at the W, even in the game they won against Trinidad and Tobago, they were on their heels. They gave up possession the entire time. Jamaica, I think maybe the lowest-ranked team in this group, is at a higher level than that. So this is going to be a tournament where they struggle, but they're going to be fun to watch and they're scrappy. Uh, fun to watch will be Hervé Renard, the manager of France, uh, the man who has somehow like trademarked wearing a white shirt, but man, does he wear that white shirt. Uh, this is his first uh, gig on the women's side of the game has obviously had a lot of success on the men's side. He's a 50-year-old manager, 54-year-old manager, excuse me, uh, two-time 54? Yeah, I wish I could he, age that way. But he looks 30, baby. Uh, two-time Africa Cup of Nations champion, uh, once with Zambia, once with the Ivory Coast. Uh, so a ton of international experience, but he comes uh, to the women's game in a very short turnaround time. He's only had, I think, three or four games in charge at this point. So he has had to hit the ground running. What he has done is change their approach, and I think they will stick with this approach. Uh, they had played, as I said, a back three under Diacra. They've done a little bit of that in, in uh, some of the friendlies, but for the most part, it's been a 4-3-3 under Renard, and I think that's what they will go with in this tournament. 
very much a possession dominant approach for this France team. They've got a ton of talent all over the place. Uh, my guess is that they will do what they've been doing, which is in possession. So let's say building out of the back, you're going to have the center backs spread wide. You're going to have the holding midfielder drop deeper, but still stay just ahead of them. The fullbacks will advance. The wingers will be boots on the chalk. But then as the fullbacks advance, the wingers will go inside, which will allow uh, the center forward, who my guess would be Eugenie Lesamere. She'll drop in. She'll move around. That is sort of the hallmark of her game is her movement off the ball. So she's very much going to facilitate attacking play. And it's a team that can press, they can sit off, they can do a lot of different things to frustrate. I think they're going to focus on individual players that they think that they can capitalize upon their uh, lack of quality, I guess is the best way to put it. And obviously they're also quite good at set pieces. So it's a very well-rounded French team. There are some notable absences, most of them due to injury. Uh, So they have some obstacles to to overcome. We'll talk about that when we get to the players. But it's a French team that also are are in pretty good form uh, since Renard took over. It's a 3-0 win over Ireland. It's a 2-1 win over Canada. It's a 5-2 win over Colombia. The Canada one was the one that seemed to be spotlighted. Uh, Beating Colombia 5-2 is good. Beating Ireland is, is also good. But beating Canada, who were ranked ahead of France, I believe at the time that they played each other, was a sort of big statement for, for this team under Renard and that they're able to get that result, I think, quieted some of the rumbling about you know him taking over and not having the experience on the women's side. So, so far, so good. Uh, we'll see if it continues. Uh, our final team to be discussed, Graham, tell us about Brazil, their coach, and their tactics. So Pearson Hag is the Brazil uh, head coach for this World Cup. Listeners will have heard of her. She has a great deal of experience at this level as a former USA and Sweden manager, of course. She's never actually won a World Cup, but Sun Hag um, led the US to Olympic gold in 2008 and 2012. She made a World Cup final in 2011. Um, also a very successful player. So it's fair to say that she's a bit of an icon in the women's game at this point. She's been in charge of Brazil since 2019 when she was appointed pretty quickly after the Women's World Cup where Brazil didn't fare so well, as, as I mentioned earlier. There was, as um, was it in this episode, Taylor, or another episode where you referenced the sacrilege of Brazil appointing a, a, a foreign manager? There was a bit of controversy around this appointment because she's not a Brazilian. Um, she was the first foreign managerial, appo- managerial appointment to the national team. I still think that, even though things have gone quite well, I still think that controversy is bubbling under the surface. Um, And so it could be a talking point again if Brazil do poorly at this World Cup. I don't know if it has any like tangible relevance, the fact that Pia Sinhaj is is not Brazilian, but it seems to be a talking point in Brazil. Um, Tactically, she's settled on a 4-4-2 shape after a, a, a process of experimentation over a number of years. In terms of the general approach, this is where there could be some real variation at this tournament because Sunhaj has, has, has used a possession-orientated style. She's set up her team to be compact and, and, and defensive, though, in, in, in other games. They've played on the break in other games. So that is something I'll be keeping an eye on at this World Cup because Brazil will likely tailor their approach depending on who they're up against. In central midfield, it will be a double pivot with a very clear difference between the two players in there. One will be a defensive barrier. The other will be attack-minded. I'll come onto that later in, in terms of who those two individuals are. And then on the wings, 
Sunhaj wants players who are good in one-on-one situations and who, who can beat their opposite number, burst into space and then do something with the final ball, whether that is a cross or, or, or a shot. They're very explosive in the final third. They tailor the, 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 the personnel that they have in those positions, depending on that approach. Um, and I mentioned that Sunhaj has that difference in terms of her approach and Brazil can stand off and, and stay compact and ask opponents to break them down like they did to England at the, at the Finalissima. However, she hasn't always been particularly happy with how her team has performed out of possession. She talks about, quote, popcorn time, which is essentially when her players lose the ball and then just stand and watch. And she doesn't like that at all. In fact, I don't know any manager that would like that. But particularly for this Brazilian team where they are all about, even when they're they're set up to be a little bit more defensive-minded, it's about snapping back into position and closing off the gaps. So there's not really any room for players to just stand and watch opponents. Um, so that is something that might be a weakness for Brazil at this tournament. But at their best, Brazil press high. They play with energy. There's a lot of vertical- verticality to their attacking play. They're a very mobile team in the attacking third. They have dribblers who can break through and open up space. They have players who can pass between the lines and create overloads. They take risks. I had a great time watching them, if you can't tell. that, that This makes them very, very watchable. That game against France in the group could be a lot of fun. It's probably, of all the groups we've gone through so far, and there's some great matchups, it's probably the matchup I'm most looking forward to, I think, in terms of how... France are a little bit similar to Brazil, at least they have been prior to Hervé Renard. They've been very kind of just put attacking players on the pitch and let them cook. And Brazil, when they let the handbrake off, are similar in that regard. So I think that game is going to be really watchable. And I think Brazil in general could be very, very dangerous at this tournament. I'm excited. I'm excited for that game. I'm excited, I'm excited for this group as a whole. And I'm excited to learn more about key players for all of these teams. Uh, in just a second, first, one more break. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 100 
and 75 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back, Joe. Uh, when we talk about key players for Jamaica, do you just want us to clear out so you have time to talk about Bunny Shaw for five minutes, or do you want to mention other people as well? So I, I'm going to mention other people as well because I, I do think it's important to give some context around the rest of this team, but I will end with Bunny Shaw, who is the true star of this team. More on her in just a minute. The level of a lot of their other players isn't super high. So they've got some players in the WSL, which is the, the top league in England, or the NWSL or the French top flight. But very few of those are true impact players. So Havana Salon, who I mentioned earlier, his mother was, was helping organize some of these crowdfunding, crowdfunding campaigns, fits this description, 30-year-old defensive midfielder for the Houston Dash, but has only played 192 minutes for them. Like, like doesn't is not a regular player for them at all. A lot of players at sort of lower Euro levels, Atlanta Primus, plays in the second division in England and will likely start in midfield along with Trudy Carter, who plays for Levante and could feature on the wing, but you know, not they're not playing at these incredible levels. They've, they've got players in college here in the U.S. like Jody Brown, plays for Florida State, who could feature on the wing as well. That kind of gives an idea of, of where the overall level of this team is. Some players that I think are in position to impact games in a big way, though. Drew Spence, I mentioned earlier, she's one of those, 30 years, 30 years old, plays in central midfield for Tottenham. She was a regular starter this past year in the WSL, which is not, again, not a common thing for Jamaica. Three goals and two assists. She is a very important member of this team that, that does have some strength in the spine. Decent left foot, pretty active defensively. Can carry the ball forward, likes to get involved, higher up the field. Not somebody that always pops off the screen, but I think every team kind of needs some of those connector pieces, right? Somebody who's going to do a little bit of the dirty work, somebody who's going to help string passes together to build rhythm or to start counters. And I think Spence is one of those players. Uh, Rebecca Spencer is another player that I want to highlight. 32-year-old goalkeeper, also plays for Tottenham. Uh, she was not good over the last couple of years in the WSL. Gave up almost six goals more than expected this past year, with Tottenham finishing ninth in the league. Gave up about three and a half goals more than expected the previous year. Those stats are from FB Ref. So I think, given sort of what I described about Jamaica's tactics and how much pressure they'll be under in some of these big games in the group stage... They're going to need a really strong tournament from Rebecca Spencer in goal. We're going to have to see a different version of her than the one we've seen for Tottenham at, at club level. Finally, the last player, it is Bunny Shaw. Striker, 26 years old, plays for Manchester uh, Manchester City. Just an incredible number nine. Like 20 goals, seven assists last season in 1,900 minutes for Man City. Really strong underlying numbers as well. Finished second in the league in goals, only behind Rachel Daly for England, who may or may not start up front, as we talked about on the show recently. Like, uh, Bunny Shaw recently signed, or first signed, excuse me, in Europe for Bordeaux in France, scored a brace in her debut, kind of setting the tone for 
who she is as a soccer player, had two more goals in her next game for Bordeaux, moved to Man City in the summer of 2021, and has been a star for them ever since. She just signed a contract extension in May. In terms of her profile, dominant in pretty much every phase of the game. Isn't the quickest in short spurts, but strong, really good feet, good hold-up play, good with her back-to-goal, can play a clever pass when she's facing forward, can create her own shot, find space in the box, pretty much checks all of the boxes as a number nine outside of that, like, you know, zero to 100 burst. But she is phenomenal. And, I mean, there are a lot of really good strikers in this tournament. You know, we talked about difference makers of the number 10 spot or the number nine spot. Bunny Shaw is among the best of the best in this competition. I'm really looking forward to watching her in this World Cup. Uh, Joe, thank you for all that. I'm a little sad that we don't have Sydney Schneider still starting in goal for Jamaica. Uh, I remember her saving penalties, I think, in the last World Cup, and then I believe having some really strong performances in the CONCACAF Women's Championship as well. I feel like she was a sort of breakout performer for them. So sad not to see her starting, uh, but Bunny Shaw there makes up uh, a huge amount of ground for me. Gus, with with Panama, like I feel like every other team in this group has that sort of that one name player, and then like in some cases a lot of other talent behind them. Uh, do you feel like Panama has one name player, or is it a lot of individuals? Um, I don't know about that. I guess mm-hmm. Mart- Marta Co- Martha Cox would be the one. She's twenty five years old. She's their ten um, most decent attacking moments for them come through her whether she's on the wing or centrally. And she was the first foreign player in Liga MX Feminal history because the league was built mainly for Mexican young talent. Um, but at just 25, she moved to Leon two years ago and now plays for Pachuca. So she would be the one. I think that would stand out. That would be she wears the 10. She is the 10. She is there, you know, calm and creativity. The other name I think that might connect with people is Yenneth Bailey in goal. Um, it, this was a story that I remembered pretty well, but for anyone who doesn't, she is she's now 22. So five years ago, she was playing midfield, and they converted her to a goalkeeper. And the next year was the, w, the, the CONCACAF Women's Championship, and she was in goal only a year in and was one of the stars of that tournament. It was the reason... Many people felt like they got to that third place game, which got them into the uh, into the playoff. And at that point, it was like she doesn't even know how to play this position, and she's playing this well. And they got blown out by the U.S., but it could have been worse. And she made some unbelievable saves. I'm pretty sure the game was at FC Dallas, and I'm like, I can remember the U.S. women after the game going up to her and like, you know, talking to her and congratulating her and sort of being like, "Holy crap!" So she would be the one name I think people would know. Um, but based on the looks on the faces here, not as strong as I thought. So those so would be you mean, the, you mean the crickets and the blank yeah. stares didn't really do it for you. Yeah. Um, and then cool the, story though, like I, I'm I'm gonna like mm-hmm. look that footage out because I don't remember it. Maybe I did watch it at the time, but yeah, that sounds incredible. Yeah, it's a it's a wild story. And it kind of was like a situation of I'm pretty sure they didn't have a goalkeeper, and she like had popped in in training. I couldn't find the details again. I got to go back and look and see a little bit more. Um, and then the other thing about this team is, like many of the teams we've talked about, I think, after qualifying for the World Cup, you turn the who's dual nationals search up a little bit. And so uh, Panama has brought in a player named Riley Tanner, who is the 30th pick in the NWSL Super Draft this season. 
She played at South Carolina and then Alabama, where she was second all SEC. Um, set the record, I believe, for Alabama. Scored three goals in three consecutive um, tournament games in the NCAA tournament. And now with the Washington Spirit, she already has an assist. Not a starter coming off the bench, but it feels like she has the potential to be a player of quality that Panama has not had. She scored the goal in her debut which was against Papua New Guinea in that first playoff game. So that could be the player coming out of this tournament that sort of reaches that level alongside Cox. All right. That takes us through Panama, which brings us to France. They've got a few players. We're going to run through them now. (laughs) Yeah, Is there Uh, a player on France that has a name that we would know of? It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I would say probably Wendy Renard is the player that I was thinking of when it comes to the biggest name for France. Uh, but she was not the biggest name in World Cup qualifying, in my mind. That would have been Marie Antoinette Katoto, who was their leading goal scorer by some distance, but will miss this World Cup with an ACL, uh, with the torn ACL, that is. Uh, and that is sort of a theme to this team. They're missing a few key performers. Uh, Amandine Henri, the longtime servant, who was then frozen out by Diacra, was brought back in but then suffered a muscle injury. She is now out of this tournament. Uh, as I said, Marie Antoinette Cototo also out. And then Delphine Cascarino, uh, a wide attacker, also tore her ACL. She will not be involved. So re-enter Eugenie Lesamere, uh, their all-time leader in goals, not far behind all-time leading in appearances, 178, despite missing two years of international football. It's a lot of appearances. Um, I'm stealing this directly from the Total Football Analysis Preview regarding Lissamere. An XG per shot of 0.24 is quite high. Joe, does that raise your eyebrows at all? Yeah, it's super high. Okay, there we go. <laughs> and indicates that in Lissamere, Renard possesses a center forward who knows where she needs to be in order to give herself the best chance of scoring from a given shot, as well as very good decision-making. So Lissamere comes in, I would expect we'll start in the number nine spot in that 4-3-3. And as I talked about, her movement off the ball will be critical, both dropping in to facilitate attacking play as the wide players move inside, and then also just arriving in the box, finding those pockets of space to make something happen. Uh, if defenders overly fixate on Le Samer, specifically Le Samer's movement, and they track her out of the box or, and open up gaps, that likely opens up space for Grace Gayoro, 26-year-old midfielder from PSG, who was their second leading goal scorer in qualifying. She is going to be one of the sort of wide central midfielders in that midfield three. Um, she also has a pretty high XG of uh, 0.22 per shot, so uh, she is a pretty significant goal threat herself. A player I was less familiar with, uh, maybe, which is showing my own failing, is Sandy Toletti, who plays for Real Madrid, 27-year-old midfielder, uh, is the holding midfielder in this 4-3-3, and is really, really good. Uh, my specific prediction will be about her. Um, but what I noticed in watching her, she has really good acceleration in closing down. She seems to know when she can get to a ball and how she can get to that ball. If it's just to win it cleanly, she's very good at doing that little sort of lifted first touch to go around or go over a defender who slid in to try to get the ball, and then she maintains control. She also will just do like the little poke pass to win the 50-50 and then get out of the way of the tackle. And then other times she just goes fully in when when it's going to be an aggressive 50-50. But she has 
really good ability to close that distance and then win those tackles. She also has uh, go-go gadget legs or extender legs uh, on occasion where it just seems like she has no business winning a tackle and then like reaches around the player to poke it away. I'll talk more about her tackling abilities later on. But then when she wins it back, if she maintains possession, uh, Toletti is very good at carrying it forward or passing vertically to the inside to trigger some of those central midfielders or the wide attackers. And then... In the defense, uh, I'm guessing we're going to have Karchewi on the at the left back spot. We'll have uh, I'm not really sure. Maybe P- Parise on the right back spot. Uh, De Almeida in the middle, partnering Wendy Renard, who we all know uh, she'll win everything, both on defense and on set pieces. She's really good in her distribution. Here are some stats from FB Ref compared to other center backs. She's in the 87th percentile in passes completed, 91st in pass completion percentage, 99th percentile in progressive passes, and 87th in progressive carries. So very good in her distribution, but very good on the ball, carrying it forward. And then in her long-range distribution, she can trigger attacks on her own. She is very good at hitting those sort of long, diagonal, vertical balls that drop in in just the right amount of space for the wide attackers to get on the end of. Interestingly, her defensive stats are not good in terms of tackles, interceptions, clearances, but I equate that with like Paolo Maldini, who never, who I think had like two slide tackles in his career. There's an idea of played in the air, she's going to win everything, 97th percentile in aerials one, uh, but then doesn't really go in for those physical battles because she doesn't need to, because she can defend you 1v1 really well, but she also makes really smart reads and then has good defensive cover around her. The one area of concern, I would say, for this France team, area of concern in quotes maybe, would just be who starts out wide for them. Because of the injuries uh, that I mentioned, it's a bit more up in the air. Uh, I, I have a feeling it will be uh, Kari Diatu Diani on the right, and then maybe Clara Mateo on the left. Uh, we've sa- seen Selma Bacha start there, though she is more of a fullback. We saw Sandy Baltimore, uh, who has the best name in soccer, uh, starting there, but she is not in the team. She was left off uh, the squad. So it could be a couple different people. It could be a number of different players based on the opposition and what Arvey wants out of this team. But that would be, I think, the major question mark for me. Other than that, this team more or less picks itself and then has the depth behind it to fill in any areas of concern. Yes, Joe, you have your hand in the air. Yeah, just one more note on Wendy Renard, who, uh, Taylor, I'll I think you spotlighted very, very well. Uh, I'll toss out one more reason why her counting stats on the defensive side aren't super high. It's because she's always playing for the dominant team, right? You yeah. know, she's, she's savvy with her there positioning. <laughs> but playing yeah. for Lyon, one of the, the dominant forces in women's soccer, it takes, it takes at times like a month for them to come up against a team that can really challenge them. And oftentimes the same is true for France. So she's just not having to do a lot of defending. But we know, and Taylor, you talked about it in the stats and in the tape, she's dominant in the air. She has some of that defensive range. It is... It's really hard for me, and I like that you spotlighted the wings because I don't know that I would have would have guessed that for France. It's hard to find like an obvious weakness in mm-hmm. terms of their quality with just stars in every line of the field, and, and Renard is, is certainly one of those players. Yeah, I, I think she is she is the player that of of all of our previews, strangely to say, I'm most excited to watch a center back, but how good she is on the ball in distribution and then just in organizing and being that leader. She will obviously be the captain for this team. Uh, makes me really excited to watch her and this France team. And then the the inclusion of Hervé Renard as the manager or him taking over. Uh, reading more about his style, he has tactics he prefers. He has uh, formations and approaches he wants to utilize. But uh, routinely 
to the point that I saw it referred to as like touchy feely. Like he's a very apparently emotional uh, coach who's going to have a lot of conversations with players about how they're feeling and what they're concerned about and what their areas of of maybe deficiency might be from their perspective. And he's very much a build the squad up through communication style coach, as I understand it, at least, which is more or less the polar opposite of Kareem Diakra before him. So I have to believe that bringing in somebody who like actually wants to hear from the players and cares about what yeah. their experiences are is going to elevate this team. I think he's also a very good in-game manager. We saw uh, mo- more recently him inspire that Saudi Arabia team in the Men's World Cup to beating Argentina. They don't have a strong rest of the group stage, but I think he can get his teams to perform to unexpected levels. And then when you have this France team who are already expected to perform at a pretty high level, if you're pushing them past that, I think it is a team that will cause problems in this tournament for sure. Yeah, I wrote about Herb Renard for the newsletter and... I was so impressed with how he integrates himself into the culture of dressing of, of dressing rooms. You know, when he was, I think it was Ivory Coast manager, they won AFCON, and there's like a video of him like dancing with his players yep. in the dressing room. I, I, I presume it was some kind of like uh, national Ivorian music or song or something that clearly meant a lot to those players. And he, as a Frenchman, is like joining in, clearly gets it. The players get him. Obviously, as a Frenchman, he doesn't have like that cultural integration to do with this job. But culture has been an issue for this France national team over a number of years. So having him setting that culture, I think, is is a good thing. Um, I I personally think France, as we've got closer to the tournament and we've analysed each kind of powerhouse each favorite there's an issue with all of them and France have their issues Renard's not been in charge for very long they have injuries to to Kototo I have a feeling France are the biggest threat to the US that's the sense I'm getting the closer we get to the tournament other side of the the bracket right am I right in saying that so they can only meet in the final I would at this early stage unless something goes wrong in the group stage no it doesn't matter Oh, it still doesn't matter. Oh, that's right. Because it's play. Australia and New right. Zealand, the brackets that's are right. broken oh, in half. That's right. So that whether you're right. first or second place, like the groups that are going to play each other are the groups that are going to play each other. I hate that. Yeah. Like that's that not all. normal, right? No. That's, yeah. So, okay. So they're, they're definitely another side yeah. of the brackets. At this early stage, I, was pre- I would predict a US-France final. Um, France looked to be in pretty good shape. There, there's. I would agree with everything you said, Graham. I would just add, it reminds me, the best reference I can come up with on the fly is like in Shawshank Redemption when uh, I think it's Brooks gets out of prison after being locked up for decades. And when he's working in the grocery store, he like raises his hand to ask if he's allowed to go to the bathroom. And his like teenage manager is sort of like, yeah, yeah, you can just go. Like, that's allowed. I picture kind of a similar thing with Hervé Renard coming in. Like, yeah, you guys are allowed to talk. What are you talking about? Like, you, like, you know, you can train how you watch it. Like, I can just see things being lightened up a little bit and the massive impact that will have combined with players who have just been frozen out coming back in. I just think it's going to be a much stronger, happier French yeah. team. And that locker room, I think, will will benefit for it. And I think their performances on the pitch will ha- uh, benefit. Having said that, having said that, I think his training sessions are really, really tough. I read John mm-hmm. Ruddy, who is a, a former like Premier League goalkeeper, worked under Herve Renard at Cambridge United, which was Renard's first job. So bizarre, so bizarre. I love his yeah. his career path, his resume. You could never guess what his next job is. I'm really, really glad you brought that up, Graham, because that is a thing that I, I should spell out a little bit more. Again, I, it doesn't sound like Diakra was 
fully a tyrant in like don't question anything it was just that to some extent they felt like they weren't prepared enough and that the time and training wasn't utilized for things that could have made the team better it was sort of doing the same things over and over again and so with that in mind I don't think a coach coming in and having really demanding sessions and making them work that much harder in training is is going to ruffle any feathers I think it's no, sort of what's no, been requested and so in some ways again I think you're getting a sharper team that are also going to feel more like valued and I and I think all of that adds together to me for France to be a team that will be in the final that's that's where I would put them uh we'll see what happens from there uh maybe maybe they don't even get past Brazil you never know uh Graham how you feeling about that one Brazil are looking pretty strong. I'm not sure I would put them as strong as France, but they do have a number of recognizable names. Of, of They have a number of stars. In terms of name recognition, there's nobody bigger in this Brazil team than Marta, as I mentioned earlier. She might not start many games at this World Cup, though, 37 years old, no, uh, years old now, though, and she will feature. I think it will be as a rotation option or an option off the bench. So there are more, there are players that are more important to this team. Instead, instead, Debinha, which I've Googled my Portuguese pronunciation. I think you kind of mash those, the D-E-B together to get a sort of jib. Jabinha, mm-hmm. um, she's expected to be one half of the front too. Extremely versatile, so it's possible that she could be on the wing to then make room for Marta in a central position. But Jabinha is, is a very creative player. Kansas City fans will be aware of of this. She scored uh, fifty eight goals and one hundred and thirty caps for Brazil, and her mobility and pace and all round game reflects what Sunhaj wants from this Brazilian team as a whole. Then you have uh, Bia Zanarato as the striker most likely to partner Jabinha in the front two. She plays for Palmeiras in Brazil, so most non-South American fans will have only had exposure to her at major tournaments. And this will be her third World Cup, so she has experience. Also very mobile, can also play out wide and also has pace uh, and is direct. So you're getting a sense of a common theme here with the Brazilian attack. Uh, Caroline will be one of the, the stars of this Brazilian team at this World Cup as well. Once again, fast, plays at speed, good with the ball, mobile, can dribble, can beat a player. Um, I'm really trying not to conform to national stereotypes when it comes to Brazil, but frankly, they have a lot of Brazilian players, which is no bad thing in my Wait. book and is, makes Re- them very Repeat watchable. that again. That's, that's breaking news. Brazil have a lot of Brazilian players? E- exactly, yes. <laughs> Revelation. But in terms of the way they play, very Brazilian as well. She averages eight dribbles per match and is a lethal finisher in front of goal consistently outperforms her XG by a long, long distance. Um, So I'm looking forward to watching her. I said in the tactics section that Brazil will use a defensive midfield barrier and that player will likely be Luana Bertolucci. She has become a regular starter under Sunhaj. She's one of the players that since the last World Cup has come to the fore, very intelligent in the way that she anticipates opposition moves. She wins a lot of duels and then moves the ball on. Um, She can be quite loose, in possession so that is something to look out for when I've watched Brazil and that midfield unit is operating as it should Bertolucci is it's not really on her to progress progress the ball forward when opposition teams maybe close off other options and it is on Bertolucci to do a lot with the ball then maybe that that build-up play kind of collapses for Brazil I also suspect opponents will look at the Brazilian defense as a bit of a weakness in terms of their physicality and aerial ability. So Katayen is, is a starter, but she has an aerial dual success rate of just 43%, which for a central defender is not 
ideal in matches where opponents will use a long ball off and it, it, it could be the case that uh, Loren comes into the team instead at left back uh, Tamirez uh, can also be got at defensively a little bit vulnerable so Brazil will need to get defensive cover for her at, at times but then there's Raffaele who shows the other side of Brazil's defensive game and she is exceptional at playing out from the back and helping uh, Brazil build attacks from deep so strong squad, some omissions and injuries. Formiga's retired since the last World Cup. And Christiane, um, who has been in good f- club form recently, was omitted from the squad due to Sanhaj trying to make the team a, a little bit younger. I, I mentioned at the top of my preview this onus on bringing the team into a new generation and kind of straddling two different eras. Um, so that Christiane's omission speaks to that. Injury-wise, centre-back uh, Tayanara has been out injured since April. And then midfielder Angelina is coming back from an 11-month injury, or she's been out for 11 months with injury. Um, so they are missing from the squad as well. But other than that, this is a squad with a lot of quality, a lot of individual talent. And yeah, I, I can't wait to see them play. They also have Barbara in goal, and that is my favourite name of any Brazilian player. I don't know why. I just love that Barbara is playing in goal for Brazil. Uh, I've been remiss in asking the most important question of all of our World Cup previews, Graham. Is there any Arizona connection that Joe can get excited about? Now we're talking. Not that that I can see. Um, I mean, obviously, NWSL representation here. Orlando Pride, Adriana plays for them. Jabinha, Kansas City, as I mentioned. No, I'm sorry, Joe. I'm not seeing an Arizona connection. I just feel like Joe has pulled further and further away from his microphone as this segment has gone on, and, and I had to believe it's... it's yeah, that's, that's what I assumed. That's yeah. what I assumed. Yeah. I think Wendy Renard went to Arizona State. I might be wrong on that one. She did not. <laughs> <laughs> um, final thing before we call this group previewed would be specific predictions. Uh, Joe, let's come back to you for any specific predictions you may have. Uh, sadly, I'm guessing none will involve Arizona. Yeah, sadly not, at least not yet. Maybe I'll, I'll ask Ryan to come back in and, and add that in later or something along those lines, or Taylor, whoever's editing this. Either way, my VSP for Jamaica is that they'll average less than 38% possession in their games against France and Brazil. So again, 38% possession or less in their games against France and Brazil, they want to put the impetus on their opponents to break through them. Like that's a big part of what Donaldson wants to do. What these players want to do. They really showed that back in the Cup of Nations, those games I mentioned against Spain and Czechia, you know, they didn't have much of the ball in those moments. And I think that's going to have to be the way Jamaica play in this competition, especially against the two giants in their group. We're going to see them play against the ball. That's going to be the theme for them with them trying to isolate Bunny Shaw going the other way or on set pieces or or something like that, I'm going to say that Jamaica is going to have less than that 38% possession mark in these big games. All right. That would be Jamaica specifically predicted. Uh, Goss, take us to Panama. I'm going to stick with Yeneth Bailey and say that she's going to lead the group stage in saves. She is a top-level goalkeeper moving in that direction. This is a team that's going to give up a decent amount of chances, but they keep a lot of the game in front of them. So there are savable opportunities, a lot of long shots. Um, she was tops of the list throughout World Cup qualifying. And then you look at the last few games, they gave up seven goals against Spain. She still made a ton of saves. So the assumption being that this team's going to concede a lot of chances. They're going to be against the ball. They're going to be pinned in fairly often. And she's super active off her line as well, whether it's crosses um, or balls over the top, which won't happen that much with the way they're going to play. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be my VSP. 
I like that one. I like that one a lot. I like any time you can watch a player or a team enough to spot little wrinkles in how they play. And that is what I've done with Sandy Toletti for France. My very specific prediction is that she will have at least three outside of the foot poke tackles to steal the ball in the group stage. She does this thing routinely where when it is a 50-50 and both players are going for it, if she knows she's going to be able to get there first in a standing challenge, she will do the outside of the foot win and then spin around the player. She doesn't necessarily keep the ball. She'll usually do that in a passing maneuver, but it's just a thing that she does so routinely of like the Travella tackle win. That's also a pass that it just kept standing out to me. One time she did do the Travella pass to herself around the player, which was especially impressive. I don't know if she'll be able to pull that off three times in the group stage, but I think she will go outside of the foot uh, poke tackle to win the ball at least three times in this group. Uh, that would be Sandy Toletti. And France, finally, Graham, what's your one for Brazil? So my VSP for Brazil is they will complete more dribbles than any other team at this World Cup. That's just like what they do. They have so many players who can beat an opponent. Uh, I reckon they'll finish top of the dribbles column. In terms of competition for that honour, like I guess the US, in terms of how individualistic they can be in in, in the final third, Um France certainly a contender for that. I might be up against the game count in that Brazil. I don't know how many matches they're going to actually play at this tournament, but let's go for it. They'll be the most dribbly team at this tournament. Tops and dribbles, tops and rivers. That's how Graham is feeling about Brazil. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. I've enjoyed this preview. My friends, I liked all of these previews. Uh, we have two more remaining. Ryan Bailey, I believe, if the schedule holds, will be returning for those final to, uh, is he going to bring previews. Wilson with him from a shipwreck? Yeah, is he, yes. uh, Wilson going to make a guest appearance on the show on Thursday? And a lot of stories about having to perform his own dental surgery. Yes, I'm yeah. guessing we'll hear a lot of that. David, thank you so much for stepping in uh, in yes. Ryan's absence. Uh, it has been very much appreciated. Graham did have to do double duty for one of our group previews, and I'm really glad that nobody else had to because that felt like a lot of work. So thank you for uh, for covering. Uh, we've very much appreciated it. That's fine. Me and my good friend Adidas over here are going Ooh. to go off on our own <laughs> and uh, you guys enjoy the rest of your shows. <laughs> if only there was a name oh, yeah. that Adidas had been based on that you could have used as the name for your friend, like, like Adi Dassler, like mm. Adi. I mean, that can't yeah, be right. David, and, David and his friend right. Adolf are going to go yeah. hang out together. <laughs> I was going to say, Graham, if I was stuck on an island, I would not choose to hang out with a random German dude. So uh, I think Adidas <laughs> was going to go better for us. <laughs> uh, thank you for that, David. Thank you, Graham Ruffin, for your work today. Thank you, Taylor Rockwell. Took a sip of my water at the wrong time. I'm always paranoid I'm going to do that in the middle of someone making a point and concluding it, and then I will look foolish. But you didn't. You handled it well. Joe Lowry, you never look foolish. You always handle things well. Oh, wow. Man, buttering me up. I like it, Taylor. This was a lot of fun, guys. For me as well. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We will be back with our final remaining group previews and Ryan Bailey with us later in the week. Bye.